thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to fight! Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. So you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we have some special guests that are going to be joining us from the Off the Ropes podcast, Captain Marvelous and Killenberg, and we are going to talk about Superman 2. What we're doing is on his show, which is fantastic, and go listen to it, but here's the kayfabe part of it. We're pretending that we're going to talk about Monday Night Raw, but we're slowly going to work it into a review about Superman 2. So knowing that going in, you'll you'll have a fun time as you see how we quickly work everything back to Superman 2. And the discussion goes in a bunch of different directions, but it's a whole lot of fun. And let's start it up. All right. So we, actually, Raw was pretty exciting. So let's get to that. Let's get to Monday Night Raw. But here joining me, as I mentioned earlier, is... Uh, it's a uh, guy and Craig from the Camel Clutch Cinema Show podcast. Love how Hello, you. very excited to be on to talk about wrestling instead of movies. Yes, yeah, so you yes. guys. Now, for those of you who don't know, Camel Clutch Cinema they review movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. But this week they're taking a break from movies. They're gonna join me here for Monday Night Raw. Um, they they felt this Raw was just so good they had to come here and share their thoughts on it. So, it was really damn good Raw. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so why don't we just start with this Raw. So uh, Raw opens up with uh, none other oh, than uh, Stephanie Mugan. Before we get, I just wanted to ask you if you're excited about Man of Steel. Uh, like Remington Steel? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, with Shaquille O'Neal. No, I'm talking about the new one. I know you're a big superhero fan. I, I didn't know if you were a big Superman fan or not. See, I'm actually, this is the movie I am looking forward to this year. That This is the movie that, that I was actually looking forward to. As being a fan of Superman, I'm a fan of the character and his powers. Just not a big fan of him. I think he's a kind of a moron, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't like that he's held the WWE title for so long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, he won it off that guy at the WrestleMania. Asked him what, the, what his agent was. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so Stephanie McMahon comes down to the ring, right. and uh, she's gonna talk about this guy. Uh, I had never heard. This is this is this whole Kurt Axel thing. Yeah, you know what I was thinking though when I was watching this, I just kept thinking about Pepper Martin. Do you guys remember Pepper Martin? <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. He he was the bully in in Superman too. Right, but he's also, he was a pro wrestler, and he was one of those guys that looked like Kurt Axel looks. He had, he had that look. He didn't have the beard, but he had that kind of big, macho, barrel-chested look. You know, I mean, Kurt, Kurt Axel, to me, looks like a, a wrestler right out of the 60s. What's his name, Pepper Potts? <laughs> <laughs> no, Pepper Martin. He was in, he was in Superman 2. You got to tell me, you've seen Superman 2, right? I've seen it. I just haven't seen it in years. 
Yeah, no, well, uh, well, Superman 2 came out, like, what, that 1981, right, yes. Greg? Yes, yes, 1981, oh, it was June, right around, right around this time in, in, in June of 1981. Well, yeah, and, and Man of Steel, they're, they're doing a lot of the same stuff, right? They got Zod coming back just like Superman 2. Uh-huh. Well, that, that movie came out about six months before I was born. Really? Yes. <laughs> All right, so right around the time it was hitting the home box office, you probably were able to watch it. Yeah, I have seen it. I just haven't seen it in a while. It's awesome. I mean, out of all the Superman films, is it your favorite one? Yes, that it is. Because it's I, the only I, Superman movie. Well, no. Actually, it's the second Superman, or first of two movies, where he gets to punch somebody. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, other one being Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. Right. <laughs> What about you, Killenberger? Are you uh, are you a fan of the Superman movies? And have you seen Superman too? Did we lose Killenberger? I don't remember if I have seen them. Oh, no, well, no. have you seen have you it's seen any of them? I think so. Do you do you know Christopher Reeve? <laughs> actually, um, yeah, I've heard of him. And actually, isn't there another actor with a very similar name to him? Like his name's Christopher Reeve. Them. Yeah, well, the, the Superman that played him on TV was George Reeves. Yeah. And the yeah, exactly. Movie, oh. Christopher Reeves. But, yeah, this this uh, movie, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, for this review, I happen to be wearing, and I know you guys can't see me right now, but I got my Superman t-shirt on, and I went to the, I went to the barber the other day, and I brought a picture of of Richard Donner, and I asked him for the Richard Donner cut. <laughs> now, is this what you're going to be wearing to the to the debut on uh, Friday? Because that's what they call movie, right? Debut. Yeah, I'm going to go to the big debut. Yeah. <laughs> they do like debuts for like I'm teaser not sure trailers I'm, I'm, now. Like they make a big deal about even the teaser trailer. Yeah, they'll have, they'll have like the new Man of Steel trailer. It's going to be coming out with Harry Potter. <laughs> And people will buy a ticket to go see the trailer and then walk out. I remember actually way back when Phantom Menace came out. Or no, I'm sorry, Wing Commander came out. Wow. They had yeah, the, yeah. the Phantom Menace trailer attached to Wing Commander as a way to sort of, uh, you know, uh, give uh, Wing Commander a little bit of the bump uh, you know, or the pump at the box office. Yeah. Well, they do that. What was this? Um, I believe the Man of Steel trailer was actually attached to that. Or there was some trailer or something attached to that Tom Cruise movie that just came out. The one that was like a sci-fi. Oblivion. Yeah, everybody. There was it, something and everybody got very excited about this. And also, I, remember, I think the Dark Knight, um, the first 15 or 20 minutes of the Dark Knight Rises were attached to another like Tom Cruise movie. Ghost Protocol. If you saw Ghost Protocol in IMAX, yeah, um, they, they showed the that opening plane sequence from the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, mm. uh, with Bane. Yes, and they also I did that it was very. Oh, yeah. Go on. No, and I said they also did it with the the Hobbit. They showed the first ten minutes of Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, okay. Because nobody was going to go see the Hobbit. No. Ooh, who wants to see the Hobbit? I thought that the uh, the the plane scene from The Dark Knight Rises would have been better if it had wrestler Jeep Swenson as Bane. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> Did uh, it was well directed though? Did you know Superman two had two directors? Yes, and you know actually, um, I don't know if you guys like reading a lot on, on uh, like the happenings in Hollywood. 
Oh, yeah. I have a book that actually I, I recommend to not just movie fans, but comic book fans. And, you know, it's actually very interesting. It's called Superman versus Hollywood. And the entire book is all about the battles that they've had on trying to get Superman on any screen, whether it be television or or movie screens. Okay. Mm-hmm. Talk about this whole deal with the director and the, the producers. Uh, now, the producers, were they are... Um, the Saul kinds. Saul kinds. Yeah. Yeah, so they talk about the deals they made. They talk about the Supergirl movie, the Superboy TV series. What uh, about the Tim Burton, uh, Nick Cage Superman movie? They have an entire chapter on the whole uh, um, Nick Cage Superman movie. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, there was a movie that was going to be called Superman Lives, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was going to be directed by Tim Burton. Starring Nicolas Cage as Superman. Now, they wanted to go the Batman route with this. They wanted to make it darker. So they did a lot of changes. And they had some rules that they wanted to follow. They didn't want Superman to fly. That was a a big thing. They didn't want him to fly. (laughs) They wanted him to fight a spider. They wanted Superman to fight a giant (laughs) spider. I heard that's where that's why Wild Wild West ended up with the big mechanical spider because yeah. the guy that wanted the spider in Superman uh, Superman Lives was like we're getting the spider in somewhere. It was the same I believe producer and he was actually like Barbara Streisand's ex-husband who used to be her hairdresser. <laughs> so he was her hairdresser, he married her, she gave him a job as like a producer or something and eventually they divorced and Superman and Wild Wild West came out of him. Right. And another thing they didn't want was for Superman to have the the blue and red tights because um, I'm going to censor it here. He looked like a big kitty <laughs> with that outfit. I so, think I can figure out what you mean. Yeah. So when they finally did make a Superman movie, though, it, it turned out pretty awesome. The, the Richard Donner Superman movie that came out in the late 70s. Yeah, I mean, well, the first one, so the Salkinds produced the first two, and they, well, they, they produced also part three, and then they didn't produce part four, but when they produced the first two, they, they filmed most of part two at the same time as part one, because they had apparently done that with their three Musketeer movies that were also directed by Richard Lester, who ended up being the replacement director for Superman 2. Yeah, and from what I understand, the only thing that really screwed that up was... They actually stopped filming so they could basically go out and promote and introduce the first Superman movie to, to you know, to the world. And then uh, at, at, right. at some point, I guess they were having problems with Donner and just decided to replace him, which I they, it, it got well, a lot of people annoyed. They, they were having problems with Donner, but it's not just Donner. They were having problems with Brando, and Brando doesn't return for Superman 2. And they were having problems with Gene Hackman, who actually, despite being in Superman 2, his footage was all shot be- when he was shooting Superman 1. So there's a lot of shots of the back of his head and, mm-hmm. and voiceover where it's somebody else's voice doing a really damn good impression of him. And the reason is simply that the Salkinds apparently are really cheap bastards and didn't like to pay anybody. And so Brando was like, you didn't pay me the first time we did this. You never paid me all the money you owe me for the first one. I'm not coming back and shooting more. Brando, who 
who wanted a ridiculous amount of money for the time, um, yeah, and well, also wanted to be a bagel. <laughs> he wanted to be a bagel. Yes, uh, on one of the documentaries on the on the the DVD set, they talk about how um, he tried to sell Donner on the idea of of not even showing up on set and just doing voiceover work <laughs> and saying that that uh, Jarrell would be uh, would look like a bagel, and miraculously Donner convinced him otherwise. All right. Well, it is. It's interesting. I I didn't know a lot of the backstory, and I've kind of read into it recently. And uh, and I I thought uh, I thought it was unusual. I did know that Mario Puzo um, co sort of co wrote this. I think he wrote a script, and then there were two other names that also wrote parts of this movie. But Mario Puzo wrote the Godfather for God's sakes. Yeah, and actually they got him to write the pretty much the first draft, the rough draft of this, because of his name, so that they could say, look, we got a big writer, and then they were just, yeah. you know, having it rewritten a dozen times or whatever. I'm sure that he was, that he constantly was sitting there saying, so then we have Superman say, look, you take the gun, you leave the cannolis, <laughs> well, eat the spaghetti, make some sauce. Because you know. from one of the things from, like I said, I, I really do recommend this book, the Superman versus Hollywood. One of the things they, they mentioned on here is that the what's his face? A Donner, he was going for this uh, Christ like image of Superman in the first movie. Right. And that was one of, that was one of the things that, that irked the producers. They weren't too keen for that. So they kinda tried to get rid of that completely for the second film. They were like Superman isn't Christ, that's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you though, the the first 40 minutes or so of that Superman the motion picture are in in my opinion the, some of the best 40 minutes of superhero origin stories that have been told in cinema from the moment where you know he gets sent down to earth to where he flies out of the fortress of solitude door, towards the camera man that really really is just a, a, a really good solid 40 some odd minutes of filmmaking now um, I don't know if you know this or if anybody out there knows this. Kind of a, I don't know if it's a spoiler. It, it has to do with the, with the score of the movie, of the new movie coming out. No, I haven't heard anything about the, the score. I think Hans Zimmer is doing it, right? Yeah. So they they actually decided not to use any of the original score for the, for the new Superman. Uh, wow. So not gonna hear yes. the classic dun da 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 dun. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Because I have a friend, my friend who runs the wrestling guy store, the wrestling guy. Mm-hmm. He was really looking forward to this. And then when I told him, because he said, I can't wait to sit in that theater and hear that theme song kick up again. And I told him, they're not using that song. He, he That was pretty much it for him. <laughs> he yeah, said, oh, I, uh, <laughs> I, I got to say that that really I hadn't heard that until just now. Mm-hmm. But even like when they did Ruby Spears did like a cartoon series in 1982 and I bought the DVD of this and I put it in and as it starts up you hear that music and I was like oh my god they got the music now I'm really in the mood this isn't just some dopey cartoon and it is some dopey cartoon but I'm telling you you throw that music on the beginning and damn it's you know it's it's epic I just assumed they were going to use it wow that's really that's really surprising yeah, they, they did. They are trying they did. to distance themselves from the the last movie came out, Superman Returns or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Right. They're trying to distance themselves from that 
And since the score was a big part of that movie, they're trying to get away from that. Superman Returns, which was kind of a direct sequel to Superman 2. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that's interesting. So Superman 2, mm-hmm. you've got uh, Christopher Reeve back. You've got Margot Kidder back. You've got Gene Hackman sort of back and a lot of Ned Beatty. You also have Jackie Cooper, who he was a child star before he went on to, you know, to play Perry White in these movies. Yeah, the, the little rascals. That always blew my mind as a kid. <laughs> what about Mark McClure? Do you guys remember Mark McClure in, in Back to the Future? Yeah, he's Marty's brother. He's he's Marty's loser brother who works at Burger King and tells tells dad to change the oil in his hair before leaving the movie for the until the very end. So he can show up at the end where he's a successful attorney who still eats at their house and I guess sleeps at their house. But man, that suit he's wearing is sharp. Oh dear! And Terrence Stamp as as General Zod. Yes, no relation to Dennis Stamp. Dennis was not booked for this movie. Now, if you don't know who Terrence Stamp is, he starred in the classic Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> uh, let me tell you guys about uh, Pepper Martin. Because yeah, this I think is great a lot because people... yeah, I didn't know that he was a professional wrestler. Yeah, this guy was a was a big wrestler, and also he appears in in the movie Walking Tall, the Joe Don Baker one, not the the remake with The Rock. But he's in that movie, and that movie is about a sheriff who used to be a pro wrestler who you know goes on to do all these things, and they hired you know Joe Don Baker to play that part. But Pepper Martin's in that film, and he's a former pro wrestler, so it's uh, it's it's apropos. Uh, you know, to have him there on set. But this was a, this is a great guy. He's still around. He was born in September of 1936. He's from Canada, Ham- Hamilton, Ontario, uh, and, and did a whole bunch of movies. Was in the original Longest Yard. So there's wrestlers, you know, he's in that one and there's, uh, Kevin Nash and, and, uh, what, Bill Goldberg and Stone Cold Steve Austin are all in the, the remake. Holly. Kali, oh my god, Kali's amazing playing ping pong. <laughs> that was actually the first time I saw Kali. I didn't even know he was a wrestler when I saw that movie. No, when you see that movie, you're just like, wow, this guy is going to be the greatest wrestler ever. This, this guy is amazing. <laughs> He's intimidating. He can move. He can he can do it all. And then, damn, and what was. the hell? And we were then all- you're watching right. the punjabi prison match and you're like what happened why is why is this happening why does this man have the big gold belt hey he, but uh the tech the detective Kali stuff is great <laughs> oh yeah he's great with the with the whole trying to find out uh uh who's who's sending the love letters to natalie or natalia no to kate uh, Caitlin, oh, that's who it is. I was gonna say because Natalia's got a, a real gas problem. Who would somebody <laughs> if somebody was into that? Well, Kali is apparently because they're with, together in the storylines. <laughs> well, Pepper Martin was a really good wrestler. Huh? What? What was that, Gilbert? Actually, fits really well because Kali used to be a cop. He was. He was a Punjabi, uh, like a prison guard, right? I, I always thought, can you imagine that yeah, guy threw so. you over? <laughs> like, seriously, if, if you it's like getting some tickets. Oh, I could like, imagine that. Kali comes out of his car to give you a ticket. 
I would imagine, though, that he'd go to tear the tip- ticket and he'd fall down. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd just drive away. Oh, yeah, all you have to do pretty much is just punch his kneecap. And that's it. <laughs> Um, but I was going to say, Pepper Martin was in a lot of detective TV series. He was in Manix. He was in, you know, Chips and uh, and also, you know, stuff like The Incredible Hulk. Lots of TV series of, you know, the 1970s and 80s. But, I mean, this is a guy who wrestled in the 1950s for Fritz von Erich. And Fritz was like, hey, at the time he was wrestling under his real name, which was Howard Martin. And he was like, you know, that's not a good enough name for a wrestler. You need a a catchy name. And so they were, the two of them were talking about it and, and Fritz von Erich, which is the dad of the von Erich clan. And he said, Hey, why don't you go with Pepper Martin? Pepper Martin was a very famous baseball player who at that time, you know, was in the hall of fame. And he said, you know, why don't you use his name? It'll, it'll be a catchy name and it, it'll work good for wrestling. And Dusty Rhodes had done the same thing. There was a baseball player named Dusty Rhodes that Dusty Rhodes stole his name from. <laughs> That I didn't know. Yeah, it's it's on the WWE uh, documentary on Dusty Rhodes, and I had never heard it before. And I was like, "That's that's terrible! You just <laughs> stole that man's name. You just took that guy's name. You just were like, that's my name now." And I think that's what happened with Steve Austin. But at least mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, with that, they they eventually added. You know, first they had Stunning, and then it was Stone Cold. Mm-hmm. But you know, Steve Austin, you're just taking the name from the Million Dollar Man, now, I, the t- and the Six Million Dollar Man, not the Million Dollar Man, the Six Million Dollar Man, the TV show, not the DiBiase. Well, that's what I heard from. Um, I don't know if it was an SWF. Somebody told the story about. Well, how he got the name Steve Austin, and it was pretty much he was uh, Steve Williams, right? And, and there was and there was another Steve Williams. Wait, before you finish this story, don't you find it odd that both Steve Doctor Death Williams and Stone Cold Steve Austin are both named Steve Williams, and they're both Jr.'s best friend? Yes. Jr. has two best friends with the same damn name. Well, not yet. <laughs> All right, go. Yeah, I know he's Steve, Steve, Steve Williams. Yeah, so the story is he had, you know, his big chance. I think it was WCW. They told him he couldn't use that name, and he couldn't come up with anything. So he went backstage, and he asked somebody, and I forget who it was. Somebody just told him, all right, you're Steve Williams based on the $6 million man, and that was it. Yeah. So it was kind of like a, just a last-minute thing. It wasn't something he sat down and scribbled, and I'm going to make this great gimmick. But don't you think like uh, like you know Jr's at home and they're like who called and he's like Steve you know and, and Jr's like Steve who and they're like Steve Williams he's like which one and they're like geez geez Jr how many Steve Williams do you know he said he was your best friend he's like I still don't know I'm best friends with two of them and, damn it and then he was like oh I know it was Stone Cold Stone Cold Stone Cold. <laughs> Oh, that JR. Uh, we spoke earlier uh, with Killenberg, so tomorrow we're having a, a barbecue at where I work. So I'm going to go and buy like three bottles of JR's barbecue sauce for our little cookout. Nice. That stuff's that, delicious. Yeah, I, I bought a bottle there. The wrestling guy store is selling them now. Uh-huh. It was in Walmart when they first started. Really? He, you know, he had them in Walmarts. I heard he also has uh, beef jerky. I've seen the beef jerky, mm-hmm. but I've never tried it, and I'm I'm dying to try it. Yeah, I'm going to try some of that. So anyway, so let's get off uh, the topic of Jr.'s old hide. Well, we could talk. 
<laughs> his old hide. We we could talk about his Pepper Jerky, or we could talk about Pepper Martin, who won the NWA Northwest Tag Team titles with Luther Lindsay defeating the Hangman and Pat Patterson on October 26, 1964. Now, I heard that guy was single. <laughs> yes, you know, Pat Patterson... <laughs> Patterson wrestled against Pepper Martin quite a bit. He they also uh, they also wrestled for the NWA Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Title, and uh, uh, Patterson held the title until he lost it to Pepper Martin January eighth, nineteen sixty five. Uh, Pepper Martin had a few more tag team reigns and another heavyweight title reign before eventually winning the tag team titles against Mr. Fuji and Tony Bourne. Uh, Pepper Martin was tagging with Shag Thomas, uh, who I, I'm not familiar with, but but damn it, if he was able to contend with Mr. Fuji, uh, I'm very excited to see that match. But yeah, I mean, this was a guy, Pepper Martin was a, was a big star. He's just a guy that's even before, you know, like when Bruno had his big run. This is, you yeah. know, this is a guy who wrestled in the, in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, until until two weeks ago, when you told me about Pepper Martin being the you know Rocky in Superman Two, I had no idea that this guy had wrestled. I mean, as long as I've been a fan of Superman Two, I never knew that. Yeah, I see that he's won some of his tag titles and heavyweight titles against the Mad Russian. Now, yes. uh, was this one of your guys' neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> this is the story you're talking the story I told about the guy who said he lived near one of a, a Russian wrestler who said he yes. was he had a southern accent and he was That's like it was. was like yeah it, it was it was a guy I knew who said he lived uh he lived this is a guy I worked with at one point in time he said he lived in a trailer park in New Jersey and in the trailer next to him were two Russian pro wrestlers, who neither of whom was Russian, and one of them had a southern accent. And he said, you guys are from Russia? And he says, yeah, I'm from the southern part of Russia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, but I've I'm gonna, it might have been this guy. I've never been able to pin down who that was because the, the guy I used to work with, I, I don't know anymore. If I had a contact number for him, I'd call him. Here's the weird thing. The guy I used to know, the guy I used to work with, his name was Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so That's I weird. worked with him. And and when I worked with him, I was like, "What was that like?" Because he was an older guy, and he was like, uh, "Oh, you know, it was it was it was fun when I was younger. You know, nobody knew who he was. You know, and then he came out and he was really big with the Jackson Five, and it was a pain in the neck. And he says, and then he went away for a while, and I was like, good. You know, nobody was saying, oh, Michael Jackson. And he's like, and then 1984 came, and it was like, God damn it, I'll never hear the end of this guy's name. <laughs> now, um. I know you love Cracks.com, but you don't like actually reading it. I like listening to you read it. So actually, I have something here because of this Russian story. This is from this is from the article, Five Insane True Tales of Wrestlers Refusing to Break Character. Okay. Number four. And I, I, this is a good one. Now, let's hear all of these. Okay. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll go into detail about the number four, but I'll say the other one. So. Number five is Tim Woods. But, you know, wait, 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 but this is wrestling related. I think you should do the whole thing. It's going to take a while. We got time. But yeah, where, where are we going? All right, so number five. Uh, number five is, let me get to it. Tim Woods breaks his back in a plane crash, stays in character. Yes. 
In October 1975, a Cessna 310 plane crashed while transporting a promoter and four wrestlers to a match in North Carolina. One of the wrestlers on board was Tim Woods, also known as Mr. Wrestling, presumably because he spent all his imagination on Mr. Woods suffered a concussion, bruised ribs, and compression fracture in his back. But all he could think about as he lay in the wreckage was, this could lead someone to find out that wrestling is fake. Right. Another wrestler, his arch nemesis and scheduled opponent for the evening, Johnny Valentine, was also on the plane. He suffered a back injury so severe that he was paralyzed for life. But what really matters here is that the crash could mean that people might find out they had been traveling together. It says it says versus on the card, so they're legally obligated to hate each other forever. Right. Tim Woods was one of the industry's most popular good guys at the time, while Johnny Valentine was a, rev, a, re, a reviled villain. Good guys can't chum around with bad guys. That would be like Skeletor pedaling a tandem bike with Prince Adam. Wait, wait, hold on a second, Captain. I think I think there's a conference going on in Killenberg's house. Can we listen in on this? Uh, we got uh, some people speaking. Here. Is somebody, somebody ordering food. What's going on? So while, all right, go uh, on. So while Woods was being rushed to the hospital after surviving a plane crash that killed one man and paralyzed another, the right. first thing he did was give a different name and lie about who he was. He pretended that he was a promoter instead of a wrestler, so as not to ruin the illusion. And that wasn't all. You see, despite this, rumors still began to circulate that Mister Wrestling had in fact been in a plane crash with Johnny Valentine. So Woods did the only logical thing. He wrestled two weeks after the crash and acted like his back wasn't broken. You know, to prove he hadn't been on that plane. Again, two of the four wrestlers on the plane, including Johnny Valentine, were so badly hurt that they never wrestled again. The pilot was killed, and the fourth wrestler, who was actually Ric Flair, didn't do another match for six months. Tim Woods had no business doing what basically equates to stunt work before he had completely recovered from the crash. But darn it, the mythology of Mr. Wrestling had to be protected at all costs. <laughs> now this one, number four, is what led me to this list. Nelson Scott Simpson legally pretends to be Russian for eight years. <laughs> when Nelson Scott Simpson first broke into wrestling, into the wrestling business in 1984, he was told that his new character was going to be named the Russian Nightmare Nikita Koloff. Because in the mid-80s, hating Russians was at a career-making high. Since Simpson had very little wrestling training to speak of, he decided to overcompensate by completely immersing himself in his character, including legally changing his name. Sort of like if Dolph Lundgren actually changed his name to Ivan Drago and actively tried to kill Carl Weathers whenever he spotted him at social events. <laughs> so Simpson legally changed his name to Nikita Koloff, actually learned to speak Russian, and pretty much refused to say more than 11 words of Boris Bogdanov's strangled English in any situation. That's right. For an entire year, he didn't speak anything but Russian, because he wanted wrestling fans to believe that he was a newly arrived Russian immigrant, still getting a handle on how to sputter out enough English to earn a chorus of boos. So to be clear, he was, he was pretending to be fluent in the language he was still learning, while pretending to be learning a language in which he was fluent. <laughs> he didn't drop the act once the cameras were off either. Simpson refused to speak English in public under any circumstance, not even in his normal day-to-day -day life. Instead, he had someone pretend to act as his interpreter for anything that required him to interact with other people, including renting his apartment. As American-Soviet relations improved, Nikita Koloff actually became a beloved good guy by the end of the 80s. 
But Simpson still never broke character, right up until his retirement in 1992. By that time, Simpson was so immersed in Nikita Koloff that he didn't stop speaking with a Russian accent for two more years, and even had his own birthplace listed as Lithuania on his child's birth certificate. Oh, you're going to like this one. George the Animal... I, I believe you actually spoke about this. George the Animal Steel lives with separate wrestler and school teacher alter egos. Yes. Intelligent, well-spoken, James Myers worked as a physical education teacher at a high school in Madison Heights, Michigan. During the summers, however, he worked another job to supplement his income. He would travel to New York and wrestle as George the Animal Steel. The Animal, as his name suggests, was a crazy, unpredictable wild man who would tear apart turnbuckles with his teeth and grunt mon- monosyllabically. Monosyllabically. That came out well. <laughs> he went on to have a very successful career in the WWF and even earned himself a role alongside Johnny Depp in Tim Burton's Ed Wood. Presumably because Elena Bonham Carter was not quite hairy enough. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as anyone else was concerned, James Myers and George the Animal Steel were two completely separate individuals. That's right. For 20 years, Myers never once acknowledged that he was the animal, and nobody around them knew he was a famous wrestler in his off hours. This wouldn't be possible today, obviously. The internet would track him down within 30 seconds. However, back in the 70s, the internet didn't exist, and the wrestling business was divided into separate territories. Detroit had its own territory, and so did New York, which is where Meyer would make all his appearances as the animal. The only way anyone in his home state would ever see him as George the Animal Steel would be in a wrestling magazine, or you know, if they drove to New York. Occasionally, one of his students would mention the suspicious resemblance between the animal and their PE teacher. To shut them up, Myers would retort, Do you really think I'm that ugly? And I believe you mentioned that on your show. Yes. I know. It's a great story. Now, you know, uh, not to, to, to throw a monkey wrench into this, but you know the Matt Stryker story is rather similar to that. Yeah, he was actually using his tie, his sick days yeah. to go wrestle. <laughs> we, me and Craig went to see yeah, I him. I was thinking about that too. How was <laughs> yeah, and and we actually saw him wrestle when he was still a teacher, and he was still pretending to to not be, you know, not be Matt Stryker when he went to work every day. And I'll tell you that when that time we oh, saw him, cool. he got some amazing, amazing heat. Yeah, he was good. I mean, I, he stood out. I mean, it was one of those things that when he became a star, you know, we went back and we're like, I, you know, we've seen this guy, you know, and he, he was he was really good. All right, what is the next one? What's next on the countdown? Number two, wrestlers get arrested for refusing to break character. Oh, that's case. And we were actually just talking about how everybody was related to The Rock. <laughs> if you're Samoan, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The brothers Afa and Sika Anoa'i, is that how you pronounce their last name? Yeah, it works for me. Yep. They were born in America. They were born in American Samoa, which may be, which may be the world's number one breeding ground for professional wrestlers. They spent most of their careers working as a successful tag team called the Wild Samoans, who on TV were presented as savage, feral lunatics who ate raw fish and tore apart chickens with their bare hands. They would only grunt in a primitive dialect, and their manager, Captain Lou Albano, did all the talking for them. One night, the Samoans wound up hitching a ride with Hulk Hogan, who at the time had a lot less star power and a lot more body hair. According to Hogan's autobiography, he and the Samoans were pulled over by a state trooper in New Jersey. When Hogan reached into the glove box for his registration, the gun he had just purchased on his way up from Florida tumbled out. 
In New Jersey, an unregistered handgun carried a mandatory one-year prison sentence at the time. So Hogan and the Samoans were ordered out of the car and handcuffed by the sturdiest policeman in history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was Kali. <laughs> Hogan begged the Samoans to explain that he didn't know about the firearms law and that this was all a big misunderstanding. Because who could resist a pair of adorable Samoans? Afa and Sika, however, refused to say one word. Before you go any further, Sika is Roman Reigns' father, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. We so were talking about a, little... like a couple of minutes ago how like, Tamina is like the Rock's neighbor. That's right. That's right. The, the Funko they're, they're all connected. It's Yeah, the Funko Dactyls are like the Rock's uh, granddaughters. And I think that uh, Alicia Fox <laughs> ate at a Chuck E. Cheese one time for them. <laughs> So, it says, if you listen to this interview, you'll know that Afa and Sika both speak perfect English. But since they had never done so on TV, they remained absolutely mute while being taken into custody. Even yeah. the gun didn't even belong to them, and they hadn't actually done anything wrong. They never said one word in their defense or Hogan's. The Waltz Hogan's figured it was better for the three of them to go to jail than break character. And this is number one, which I actually... Well, wait, before you go to number one... Uh... In 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 response to that, Jimmy Schnooka probably killed a woman by throwing her over a balcony at, I believe, the George Washington uh, Motel in, in, I think, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And Vince McMahon and a lawyer came up to his room and talked to the police, and they Jimmy pretended that he didn't speak English, and they bought it. <laughs> you know, Amazing. Okay, so I had my phone on. And I accidentally, le- I accidentally left the the microphone where you talk, and it'll write a text message depending on what you say. <laughs> yes. So this is what it wrote. Love Benal did all the talking for the one night. The someones wind up taking a ride with Poke Logan, whether time had a lot less star power and a lot more body here. <laughs> According to Hold His Autobiography, The End of Someone from Pool Over, by a state trooper in New Jersey, when Holden Beach into the glove box for his registration, the Guardian had just purchased on his way up from Florida. <laughs> so that's a lot of sense. Now, I want you to give me number one, but I don't think number one is, is good enough to be number one. So when you are done, I have a better number one than, than what's on this crack.com list. Number one, though, has to be um, Shiki Baby, right? Oh, him and uh, him and, and, and Hacksaw. Hacksaw driving in the car. Well, I, I guess that they didn't. Good. I guess they didn't break kayfabe. I guess they broke kayfabe though. Yeah, they were just like, "Hey, all right, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's go to jail." Yeah. All right. So you're saying it's a Shiki baby? You no, I, I forgot that it involved kayfabe. I I know this list. It's El Santo, uh, and so I don't mean to spoil everything. But I have a better one than El Santo. Go ahead and, and give us the El Santo story, which I will say, El Santo traveled separately from all the other wrestlers he wrestled, so that that way he could travel, go through security with his mask off, and no one would know he was El Santo. Yep. So the world's most famous mask wrestler refuses to take off his mask for 40 years. Back in 1942, Rodolfo Guzman Huerta donned a silver mask and cape and became his alter ego, El Santo, the most famous wrestler in the history of Mexico and the country's biggest pop culture icon. Santo was a folk hero and a symbol of justice for the common man, and his popularity extended to comic books and a cornucopia of terrible movies. Once Santo's appeal started to transcend wrestling, 
Huerta knew that his silver mask was the key to the character's success, so he made sure to never, ever take it off for 42 years. Right. Must have been very smelly. Yep. Santo made sure he was never seen in public without the mask on. Not during the appearances, not in movies or in television, not even when he went outside to get his newspaper. This made for bitterly inconvenient half-century. Santo carried <laughs> around a separate set of masks for certain occasions. For example, it was impossible for him to eat anything while wearing his traditional mask without it looking like his mouth was having a miscarriage. <laughs> so he had a special mealtime version he could change into with the chin cut away. Whenever he traveled to a film shoot, he'd make sure to take a different flight than the crew so that none of them could see his face when he was inevitably required to remove his mask to get through customs. One Santo was driving from Mexico into Texas with a producer, and he demanded that the man turn his head and look away so he could take his mask off for the border agents. Now, now that is during the movie that Craig and I reviewed. Uh, this is El Santo and Blue Demon and uh, Mil Mascaris in Mystery in Bermuda. Yes. So it says here, even after retiring from wrestling, Santo still kept his identity a secret for over a year before finally revealing his face for the first and only time in his long career. He must have sensed that his time was growing short because Santo died of a heart attack just over a week later and was buried in his trademark mask. Now, that is my request when I die. I want to be buried with a wrestling mask on. I, I swear 100% that to be true. I want to be buried in six feet under with a wrestling mask on. It's not a I love it. Put that in your will and 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 uh, put my name next to it, and I will make sure that happens, Captain. Yeah, we will put it on your dead head. <laughs> all right, I have one that is better than I think all five on this list, and this is directly from Wikipedia. This is from the Wikipedia entry of Gary Albright. Gary uh, was also known by the ring name Volcan Singh, and here is. Here is the the death portion of his Wikipedia page. On January 7, 2000, Albright wrestled at a World Extreme Wrestling show in Hazleton, Pennsylvania against Lucifer Grimm. After being hit with a three-quarter face lock bulldog, Albright collapsed to the canvas. A worried Grimm rolled Albright on top of himself to finish the match. So, in other words, Albright <laughs> got the pin. Uh-huh. After which, concerned wrestlers and ring crew tried to resuscitate him, but Albright was pronounced dead after being removed from the ring. Aww. I just want to want to point out what happened here. Lucifer Grimm, Bill Owens, bulldogged a guy. The guy died from the bulldog, but he pulled him on top of him so that the dead guy could get the win because that's how the match was supposed to end. Oh, man. He Amazing. made sure that this guy got a win after death. Dying in the ring, and so I, I I I humbly submit that to Crack Magazine that that is 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 more insane than any of those on this list. Hands oh. down. Yes, I agree. Oh yeah, my goodness. Maybe he wanted one last. You know what? That's that's the new thing on my will. I want to be buried with a wrestling mask, and also I want a pinfall victory. <laughs> so you. <laughs> You you want somebody to pull your dead body on top of them, yeah. So that that way, they you can get the pin. Now going back to Santos, actually, there's a very very famous comedian in uh, well not just Mexico but all of uh, 
Spanish-speaking countries. Hmm. His name is Chespirito, and he he's like super famous. He's like ten Jim Carreys. Like he's like super famous. So he actually traveled with Blue Demon and Santos for some event that they were doing, and he knew. He, he recognized Santos and Blue Demon because he said that their hands were pretty much like crippled with arthritis and from all the years of wrestling. Okay. So, you know, they went to the airport and they left because, you know, how you said they, they went separately to take off their masks so they could go through through security. Right. So, you know, they're at the airport and everybody starts flocking to the comedian because he's super famous. So they all know who he is. He sees these two guys in suits. Without like standing there laughing, and he notices their hands, so he realizes that's gotta be Blue Demon and Santos. So he starts pointing them out to people, saying, That's <laughs> Santos, come on, you know, leave me alone. That's Santos, he's a bigger icon than me. But since he's a comedian, nobody's taking him seriously. And <laughs> Demon and Santos are, you know, trying to act up the joke, like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really Santos. <laughs> so he they managed to get through security like in front of thousands of people without anybody realizing it was actually them. Well, it's it's true. You know, you can recognize somebody, you know, from their hands, from their their body type, even if you get somebody very similar. And that's one of the things that happened on Superman too. They got body doubles, you know, for for uh, uh, Marlon Brando a little bit. They did some of the the weird shooting, but mostly Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. You know, Marlon Brando, most of his scenes, they simply, you know, gave all the lines to, to the mother. Or some weird-looking bald dude. Mom. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? All of a sudden, you know, this this weird, you know, Harry Krishna shows up, and he's like, hey, look, I'm sorry Brando couldn't show up, uh, so I'm here to tell you some lessons. I'm a Superman's uncle. You didn't know about me, but yeah, I'm his uncle. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and uh, and the Gene Hackman stuff. There are some moments if you look for it, you'll start to notice, and I, I think it may actually come out to if you look for it, you start to see it where it's not there. Stop the tape right there, Craig Cohen. This is one hell of a ride, and I'm enjoying re-listening to it with you now. It was so much fun to do it in the first place. Oh, totally. I knew when we were going to do Superman 2 that Captain Marvelous and Killenberg were the guys to get on the episode with us. What a good time. So you got to tune in next week to hear the rest of this because we are out of time Craig, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank thanks you. To Captain Marvelous, thanks to Killenberg. And we will see you all next week right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want to pin it? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!